The Insights Idaho Department of Finance communicates department news and perspectives to aid consumers in making educated financial decisions and to inform both industry and consumers of regulatory and consumer protection issues. Hello, welcome to the second episode of Insights. I'm Celia Kenny, Consumer Affairs Officer with the Idaho Department of Finance. It's a pleasure to introduce our speakers for this segment, highlighting Idaho State Chartered Credit Unions. Today we will hear about how this industry has transformed over time and why Idaho consumers, businesses, and communities should consider partnering with a local financial institution. With us to cover this topic, we have Salvador Cruz, Financial Institutions Bureau Chief of the Idaho Department of Finance, and Troy Stang. Troy is the President and CEO of Go West Credit Union Association. This is a newly formed six-state credit union association. Troy is also the president of the Northwest Credit Union Foundation and the president of Strategic Link Incorporated. He has led Northwest-based credit union trade associations for over a decade and previously served as senior staff to the U.S. Treasury Secretary under President George W. Bush administration. Those are some impressive credentials, Troy, and I look forward to hearing your perspective. I appreciate both of today's speakers for making time to be here. And with that, I'll transition to you, Sal. Please take it away. Thank you, Celia. And thank you, Troy, for being here. My title is Financial Institutions Bureau Chief, and that's a very bureaucratic way of saying that I oversee banks, credit unions, trust companies, and business industrial corporations. Today, we're going to focus mainly on credit unions, and it's a pleasure to have Troy with us. Uh, Financial institutions in Idaho are very vital to the Idaho economy, and there are a lot of things that that happen that the general consumer is not aware of. And and to shed light on that topic, I'd I'd like to welcome Troy. Let's start out. Can you just share a little bit about yourself and where your passion for the credit union industry comes from? Well, thank you. Thanks for the invitation, and it's really a pleasure to be here and, and be a part of this morning's broadcast. I got my start in central Minnesota in a very rural area, grew up on a family dairy farm, and everything that we did in that local rural community was cooperatively based. Uh, Our farm interacted with local co-ops for feed, grain, seeds. Uh, We we sold our dairy milk to a dairy co-op, and all of our capital, uh, all the financing needs of, of of the family farm came through the credit union. So the cooperative way of life really was woven into the fabric of what I grew up in and around. And, and when I came to the Northwest uh, back in 2008, uh, being a part of the credit union movement seemed like just a natural fit. Uh, and truly across Idaho and across our Northwest states, the cooperative vibe, if you will, the cooperative way of doing business really exists uh, from north to south, east and west throughout this state. And so uh, credit unions have been a great fit uh, for the consumer here in Idaho. That's, that's wonderful. And uh, I always have to give a shout out to anybody that's from the Midwest. It seems that uh, the more you move across this country, the more you meet people that have roots in the Midwest. I, my roots from the Midwest start in, in South Dakota, but my first exposure to financial institutions from an oversight perspective was in Crookston, Minnesota. So there's, there's a special place in my heart for Minnesota specifically. So I appreciate that. You did talk a little bit about the cooperative nature of of your upbringing and how that and, and that how that was ingrained in you and, and and maybe I'm putting words in your mouth, but how how moving to a credit union was just intuitive because of the cooperative nature. Can you speak to a little bit to 
how cooperatives, how a credit union is a cooperative and what makes that unique compared to other financial institutions? Yeah, so uh, growing up on the family farm, I either was going to take over the farm uh, or get an education and get into some other industry and field. And so the the move through uh, my secondary education and finance, uh, moving to the credit union seemed like a natural fit. Uh, and, and what I learned uh, in my first job in the local credit union, which, by the way, uh, my grandpa actually chartered in 1934 um, because he got declined for a, a loan for a piece of farm equipment at another institution. And he and his eight brothers gathered all the local uh, Catholic parishioners and started a faith-based credit union. And I love sharing that story because it really speaks to the credit unions across America, but especially in Idaho. Um, being locally owned, being um, member-centric institutions where people of common, common interests, common needs have come together to pool their money, to provide services and loan it out to each other. That DNA is what really makes credit unions special, really makes them different uh, and so accountable to the consumers and the marketplaces that, that they serve. And, and I think that's really uh, consistent with the, the tenor and culture in Idaho. That people love doing business th- with whom they know, who they trust, uh, and the credit union's uh, first line ability, uh, accountability is to the consumers, the members, and the memberships and the communities they serve. And we really love being Idaho-based institutions, uh, having that oversight, having the the business license from the state of Idaho, allows the credit unions, you know, a, a direct dialogue with the regulatory community, uh, which is valued so much uh, in the work that we do day in and day out. Can you explain a little bit about the uh, Northwest Credit Union Association, who it is and, and what it does for uh, supporting Idaho State Charter Credit Unions? So every industry um, or, or most industries have an organizing association, an, an association that represents their interests, uh, which might provide them products and services. Our focus as the Northwest Credit Union Association is representing the credit unions of Idaho, making sure their collective voice um, spoken from a single song sheet, uh, a single voice, um, is, is provided not only to the regulators uh, and public policy, but also to the public. Um, we've got a large responsibility to help ensure the general public understands who credit unions are, what we can do in the realm of products and services, and how the credit unions can truly be a set of solutions for every household across Idaho. As you know, this podcast, we, we're really trying to focus and highlight our Idaho State Chartered Credit Unions, or, or, or financial institutions for that matter. And the general consumer doesn't may not have a complete understanding of what's the difference between a federally chartered credit union and a state chartered credit union. In less than 30 seconds, can you give a brief synopsis on that? Because we are a regulated industry, a financial services industry, we need to have a business license. Uh, And credit unions uh, can organize and decide, should they be chartered as a state-chartered institution? Should they get their business license from the state? Or should they get it from the federal government, the uh, NCOA, the National Credit Union Administration? The majority of the credit unions in Idaho choose to be state-chartered. They love the closeness and the ability to have a relationship with the the regulator, um, the oversight body. And um, there's over 30 credit unions uh, in the state of Idaho today serving almost 60% of the population. And, and it kind of speaks to 
the vitality of, of Idaho itself, right? I, I, there are a multitude of choices, financial choices that an Idaho consumer can make, whether it's a, whether it's a credit union or another financial institution, a regulated institution or an unregulated institution. I think that, that Idaho does provide that fr- business-friendly environment where any financial institution can flourish. And in turn, the market helps decide and by the market, the consumers get to decide which, which uh, business plan works best, what, what suits them. And uh, you, you mentioned something, you, you've touched on a topic that I, I kind of want to explore just a little bit further. And that has to deal with uh, going back to your roots, uh, the dairy farm, the, the cooperative, having, having the common bond within the community. Can you speak a little bit to uh, common bond as it relates to credit unions and how that ties a credit union and its community together? Uh, again, all credit unions are owned by a group of people. Um, that's the cooperative juice. That's the cooperative framework. And, and if you go back to the story of my grandpa's credit union, their common link at the time was agriculture, it was the Catholic Church. It was the means in mid-1930s to communicate with each other, to build community. You farmed by day, you went to church in the evenings and the weekends, and that's where you built community. Um, today, fast forward, um, the communication frameworks, whether it's podcasts, uh, email, text messages, end up being such a way of bringing people together. Um, and if you pull on the thread of any of the 30-some Idaho credit unions, each one has a story from where they started, how they started with a local common bond, and how they maintained relevancy over the years. And that relevancy shows up in the form of products and services. If I think back to Grandpa's Credit Union, it was probably small savings and small loans or loans for agricultural equipment. Grandpa would probably be turning over in his grave today if he knew that 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 same credit union is doing electronic services, ACHs, that you're able to text somebody and transfer money. Uh, And that speaks to the evolution of financial services and that speed of change is something that credit unions need to stay in tune. All institutions need to stay in tune with in order to be relevant to the customers, the members, the consumers, the marketplace that you're serving. And so if you go to Idaho and you go to northern Idaho, central Idaho, east Idaho, um, you will find a credit union brand uh, that is woven in the fabric of the community, that is a part of that community organizing principles. Shifting gears just a little bit, can you speak to the impact a state charter credit union has on local communities and and perhaps uh, provide some examples? So credit unions, being not-for-profit cooperatives, we firmly believe that structure, uh, that public policy entrusts us with, the cooperative structure, um, inherently we've got to prove day in and day out that we can generate and deliver real tangible value to the consumer. That shows up in a, in a vast array of products and services that are relevant. It shows up in, in pricing of products, whether interest rates on loans and savings, that's advantageous to the consumer, to the borrower, to the savers, um, and access. Access to financial services, whether that's um, with a physical branch in a local community or to the technology and services. So you weave that all together and inherently, it's real tangible value. And that's the chase. That's the work every credit union is up to day in and day out to make sure, as a financial institution, it's delivering real tangible value. 
you ask about community, uh, and there's another component, uh, and it's the impact in, in any community. There is an expectation or inherent, um, as a consumer, uh, as a member of a community, you want to see good corporate stewards of, of a community. Uh, and again, if you go to East Idaho, if you go downtown Boise, if you go to any of the suburbs, you will see credit unions woven in the fabric of the communities. They're a part of the schools. They're a part of the faith-based communities. They're woven in how people live uh, and, and how, how these communities exist and prosper. And we believe, credit unions believe, that's part of our DNA. That's part of our social responsibility uh, as cooperatives to not only return real tangible value, to the wallets uh, of the consumers, the members that they serve, but also make an impact in the communities. Uh, And I've often said, if one day suddenly credit unions did not exist, I think these communities, the fabric of the community, you would feel it because we're so woven in uh, to the DNA of of what makes Idaho a great place to live. You spent spent some time talking about the, the... unique bond between the community and a credit union and and their ability to uniquely service their members and also the the community at large from by returning either time or resources to their community there there is a segment of of the idaho population and, and nationally for that matter where they have access to a savings account but they may not qualify for a checking account or or a loan. Uh, we, we call that the underbanked. There's also a subset of the population that just can't, for whatever reason, get access or gain entry into the financial system. How do Idaho State Charter Credit Unions help in that regard? How, how, do, they, how do they push to... Frankly, the DNA of credit unions being member-owned, member-accountable, uh, accountable to the communities. It's woven in our in the fabric of who we are. I talked a little bit about Grandpa's story uh, and that common bond and understanding where your membership base is coming from, understanding the, the, the journey that every member walked and traveled to get to where they are. Um, as a member-driven cooperative, um, we hear story after story after story of credit unions giving that voice, uh, giving that opportunity to have that member, that potential member, tell the story that they're on. Explain why they might not have a credit history. Explain why they probably haven't had the ability to build savings. Uh, I often talk about the story of a a member that I served uh, when I worked in my first credit union uh, early in my career, and, and Alan would come into the credit union every Thursday to borrow $25, $26, $28 on a Thursday in order to put gas in his truck, in order to buy groceries for his family, in order to get to Friday, because Friday was payday. And like clockwork, Alan would come back in. He'd be the last member in the door at 7 o'clock on a Friday night or the first member in the door on Saturday morning to pay his $26 loan back. And I know for a fact his family did not know that he was stopping in on a Thursday so that he could put food on the table on Friday for his family. And it was so enlightening uh, to walk that journey with Alan. Uh, Over the weeks, over the months, over the years, um, we taught Alan 
how to slowly not have to borrow $26, uh, to slowly start saving with every paycheck. And I don't get back to Minnesota often, but I did go back uh, a couple years ago to visit my family and, and drove those old county roads that I grew up on. Uh, and there was nothing more rewarding than to see a mailbox with Alan's name on it. Those dreams, those things Alan wanted to accomplish, not only in the near term with his family, trying to get from paycheck to paycheck, week to week, but he, just like the rest of us, had a dream of having a home that he could call his own. Uh, and to see that mailbox in a tree-lined driveway uh, with a new home or a newer home built uh, along the river uh, and his name on the mailbox, that was a sense of pride for me uh, that each and every person has a set of dreams uh, that, with a great partner, can eventually realize what's possible. It's interesting because, from from our perspective at, at the Department of Finance, we're 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 hyper focused on providing or providing resources to Idaho consumers financial choice. And what I what I hear you saying is that the the credit union industry is is position is uniquely positioned to help those Allens of the world if. If if he's willing to ask for help, are there are there any initiatives or or things on the horizon from from the credit union world that that, that you see that, that kind of goes in that direction a little bit more? You know, when you think when you think at, through the lens of a consumer and you think about um, the thirty credit unions and, and the other financial institutions across Idaho, there's a there's a bit of formality to the financial services business. Uh, for any of the consumers listening, I would encourage you to be brave, walk in, and share your story, share your dreams uh, with the financial institution professionals, um, because there are a lot of options and a lot of choices for a consumer, uh, for a small business, to have the counseling, to have the guidance from a financial partner. Uh, and so the message number one, have, have the, be brave, uh, have the encouragement to walk in and, and share, share your story um, and ask for that sort of guidance. There's a lot of professional um, skill set there to help any consumer um, continue to advance their financial well-being. There's also uh, several programs that Idaho credit unions have uh, have taken under their wing. Uh, we know our state's population is changing and growing, uh, and we're welcoming new people into our state um, borders day in and day out. And, and um, some people aren't familiar with Idaho, aren't familiar with the new home and the new community that they're a part of. A number of credit unions have adopted a Juntos uh, designation, uh, which is a Hispanic um, designation that says, we welcome you. Uh, we speak your language. We understand the journey that you're on. Uh, and some of those initiatives um, really are catered towards uh, people who may not have banked uh, at a traditional financial institution like a credit union uh, and, and help them with product education, uh, how to save, how to borrow, how to build a credit report. Uh, and those are the first steps in building a financially sound wallet, a financially sound household, step by step. We get calls from the community every so often. And uh, one of the trends that we've noticed is that in our rural communities, 
there there's this trend that financial institutions are are closing their doors and and they're leaving town and we can't fault them for leaving that's a business decision that's up to them and either their members or or their shareholders but we get these calls from business leaders, from, from community leaders saying, how do we get a financial institution in our community? What do we need to do to do that? And it, it really, and, and you can hear it in their voice. I, I think this, there, there's, a, there's a common perception out there that everything is going digital. I have a digital bank or digital credit union on my phone, and that's all I need. But to rural communities, having a financial institution in the heart of downtown is not only a badge of honor, but it's, it's one of those aspects that's the, that's the lifeblood. Of, it's the economic engine of that community. What should those community leaders do to get a financial institution in their communities? I'm glad to hear that you're getting those phone calls. Uh, as the chief regulator, if you will, of financial institutions and, and the financial commerce in the state of Idaho, um, the fact that the communities, those communities are reaching out to you and asking the question tells me that they're thinking strategically about the livelihood, um, the viability of their community in the next generation. And I think we've just, as a society, uh, have, have navigated not only uh, what was now cloned as the Great Recession, but a global pandemic. And we have seen population trends change, and so many rural communities um, really reinvigorate themselves, uh, redefining the quality of life, what they can offer to their community, what kind of community can they be. And they recognize they need a financial partner uh, as a part of that journey of being a place that people want to be. Um, you hit the nail on the head. The day and age of the big brick and mortar financial institution on the corner of Main Street might have come and gone uh, because a financial institution doesn't need quite the square footage and quite the extent of overhead. Um, but how you define local and how do you define access, um, I think we've also not only transitioned through a great recession and a global pandemic, but we've also transitioned into a day of access that wasn't possible in grandpa's era, um, where you had to walk into the financial institution with money and do the transaction. So much of it is digital. That said, these institutions are also very, very cognizant of where can they, as a financial institution and responsible party to be part of the fabric of these communities, where can they participate in the economic vitality and the economic revitalization of a community, especially one that's passionate about redefining who they are? Uh, so I've, I'm actually looking through this with, uh, a, through a very positive lens um, that if you are getting the calls, there's a group of community leaders who are committed to provide and bring that juice back into the community, and that's a beautiful sign. Absolutely. So it's, it's frankly one of the, I think, silver linings that came out of our global pandemic uh, where quality of life, the quality of the community – uh, has now been reinvigorated uh, and put as a priority amongst its own citizens. Yeah, the the uh, sense of community that has come with the pan from the pandemic is is truly a silver lining, and 
for all of the controversy and conflict that and perceived disagreements as, as related to how we approach things, you do walk around and you do feel and you do see communities tighter, you know, tighter knit. And, and um, those leaders um, and the citizens of those communities are looking for more than just a place to make a deposit and do a transaction. They're looking for a financial institution who's going to be a partner and a part of the fabric of the communities. Uh, and and the institutions, we're, we're blessed in the state of Idaho to have institutions who are modern, uh, who are innovative, who are, are delivering their services not only in the traditional face-to-face and brick-and-mortar sense, but filled with technology and, and choices and options right on our phones uh, to be able to transact money between consumers, between consumers and small businesses. And so, so it, my comments come with a bit of a, a challenge and question uh, and opportunity for the communities and small businesses uh, that make up an economy in any corner of Idaho, and that is look for your financial partner and institution. They're out there. I'd like to take a walk down memory lane and in the not too distant past, there was a time in 2008, 2009, where we all thought the financial world was going to come to an end. There were so many people that were displaced. There were, I, I recall turning on the news and seeing lines around financial institutions uh, in Idaho, uh, across the country. There was, there was fear. There was stress. There was, we didn't know what was happening. And then you fast forward to 2020, end of 2019, 2020, and we, find our, we found ourselves in a situation where we were stressed. We didn't know what was happening. We didn't know what tomorrow was going to bring. All that we knew was that we had to, we had to, be home. We had to stay close to the people that we love most. And we all know someone or know of somebody, of someone that was impacted by the Great Recession, that had their home foreclosed or was overextended on a loan. We also know someone or of someone that had COVID or knew somebody that, that was infected with COVID and, and possibly didn't make it unfortunately you know that's that's a long-winded precursor to to ask my question that's we've gone through two crises in 15 years how has the credit union industry adapted to meet the needs of its members during that time as you talk about uh, those major life-changing events that we've gone through a great recession a global pandemic um in part of my bio uh um, I spent now half my career on the public policy association side, but my early half of my career was in financial institutions, in credit unions, having lived through the Great Recession and, and what you just described, Sale, having members walk in the door, giving up hope, turning in their car keys, turning in their house keys. Uh, there's, those are tough conversations to go through. Nobody wants to have them. The financial institution doesn't, but... Let me tell you, the family, the consumer doesn't want to have those conversations as well. So we've had some major life lessons, recession, global pandemic. 
And then all the emotion that you describe, whether losing loved ones, whether being impacted and, and isolated through through COVID, it the life lesson that I took away from that is control what you can control. Within all of that, there's things as a consumer you can control, and one of them is your financials, your your financial health. Uh, and we talked about the example of Alan. We've talked about uh, other examples of, of needing to budget, wanting to budget. And every consumer, every small business can put themselves in control uh, by choosing a good financial partner uh, to walk through not only the early questions of affordability, uh, but then those, those life journey discussions about college education, uh, about those next stages of life, uh, retirement, you name it. And you've heard all the statistics. I, I think I think one of the st- statistics is 50% of Americans can't assemble $400 within a week or 10 days. And, and there's things the consumer and the financial institution in partnership can do to help build better financial lives, to help build health, healthier wallets, family budgets. But it takes a dialogue and it takes a partner uh, to go through that journey. Uh, I talk about small businesses. I talk about young families or families going through those next stages of life where the kids are getting ready to go to college and you see the price tag of, of what that means for an individual household. But there's things along those journeys that the consumer can stay in control of their own destiny uh, and take that level of stress off the table. And I can't predict if we're going to have another recession. I can't predict if we're going to have another pandemic. I'm certain we will. Uh, We'll probably see those things in our lifetime. But what you can control uh, is your financial wellness, your financial health, if you will. One of the things that I think doesn't get enough recognition is what financial institutions were asked to do at the height of the pandemic. It, the consumer, sometimes the general public may have heard of the CARES Act or some of these economic initiatives to stimulate and revamp the economy when, we all, when the entire economy went into shutdown. Can you talk a little bit about what... Idaho State Charter Credit Unions were asked to do and how they performed? What was different in the, in the global pandemic versus the Great Recession, uh, and based on my bio, if you did the math, uh, the time that I was in D.C. Uh, with the White House, with the U.S. Treasury, was leading up to the Great Recession. What happened from a public policy standpoint there was let's wait and see what happens is how public policy addressed it uh, and to see where the chips might fall. And there were, um, there were so many people impacted by the Great Recession and so many financial institutions that don't exist anymore today. What was, fast forward to the pandemic, what was different in public policy, right, wrong, or indifferent, was there were a number of stimulus programs advanced by Congress uh, to to bring dollars to the individual states and let states decide how to distribute those dollars. Some of the programs were distributed through the Small Business Administration, the SBA. Other programs were in the form of grants or or other dollars. And the financial institutions, A, remember, we all lived through it. 
Should you get a vaccine? Shouldn't you get a vaccine? Should you wear a mask? Shouldn't you wear a mask? What are the standards? And it was different in every one of our communities. Financial institutions, including credit unions, were running businesses, retail branches that help members, the consumers, the communities day in and day out. And those protocols uh, had to be sorted out and figured out amongst their staff to serve the members. We, ha- we as financial institution, had to make uh, the consumer, the public, feel confident that they had access to their money, um, that they had the financial guidance that they needed without skipping a beat. Uh, and that, that brought us into that whole discussion about being essential businesses. Um, in addition, each state, uh, as I said, was granted some dollars through the CARES Act, and it was so inspiring to see the state chartered institutions turn those dollars from from Congress into um, paycheck protection programs, the PPP loans, uh, or small business grants, uh, and other dollars that helped give the consumer and small businesses confidence to manage through the global pandemic. Again, a different public policy approach uh, where public policy provided a whole lot of resources, but it was up to the financial institutions to get those resources dis- distributed. And And I, I'm really curious to see what your perspective is as as the lead financial institution regulator from where you sit. But from, from our credit union lens, we saw credit unions across Idaho jump into that program and help distribute those dollars to the people who needed it most. Yeah, it's, it, it is fascinating. And it's a, there were there were several key moments during the CARES Act and uh, the subsequent economic incentive programs that, that, that went through that financial institutions, they all stepped to the plate. They all said, we will do this. Our communities are impacted. Every single one of their employees were impacted. We're talking about financial institutions that were operating at half capacity, maybe a quarter of capacity, because we didn't know what we didn't know about the pandemic. And those are hard business decisions to make. And then when you have the federal government and state and local state, state government saying, we have money that we need you to get out into the local economy and financial institutions, credit unions, they did it. They, they made as many of those PPP loans as they did. They, when the uh, unemployment checks came out, they distributed those as fast as they could. The child tax credit checks, those came out, those were you know, ACH'd out, and, and they got into the pockets of the people that needed them when they needed them. And, and frankly, the, the Department of Financial uh, Institutions really um, is to be acknowledged in this process, too. Uh, none of us, including the regulator, knew exactly uh, how these programs were going to be administered. But you gave the encouragement, the tr- and you had the trust of Idaho's institutions that they'd figure it out get it distributed, uh, and, and in a way that, you know, nobody likes the overreach of, of government and the overreach of regulation, uh, but your role, what you embraced during that time as a state of Idaho was get the dollars out into the marketplace, get it out to the consumers, the small businesses, and, and I think that um, was a huge contributor in making sure the dollars went where they were needed most uh, at a time when people were dealing with tons of other uncertainties, that's one place I think collectively government and, and the institutions showed up great. As a state regulator, 
we always we're always looking ahead, and I know that industry is constantly looking ahead as well. Uh, what what do you see the credit union industry like in the next five, ten, fifteen years? You know, sometimes before you can look through the windshield, you do have to look in through the rearview mirror, and we did that. And and looking through the windshield, um, if you agree and accept the fact things, technology, and what have you is changing, is going to change faster tomorrow than it changed yesterday. Um, the type of delivery of electronic services, digital services, mobile access uh, uh, that will exist uh, in the next year, five years from now, I think uh, will amaze all of us. Um, the adoption and the ability to, for institutions to implement that in a manner that is uh, user-friendly, uh, safe and se- sound and secure, um, and, and gives the consumer confidence uh, that my payment or my asset or my money is safe, secure, and being transferred uh, in a manner to the next party, whether it's a retail or a family member or just a person-to-person transfer is done in a way um, with safety and soundness and the money um, secure. That sort of responsibility will not go away. There's a positive view from my perspective of of what a financial institution's positions are, what a financial institution's position is going forward, and it's going to be that institution that it can engage with the consumer on the consumer level that uh, that'll really make significant strides, in in my opinion. So those two, those two memory lane things we talked about, recession and global pandemic, um, while there was a lot of angst and negative uh, that came out of it, there was a whole lot of positive. We talked about the community building. We talked about the access. Uh, the one thing we really haven't highlighted is the adoption of, of technology. The consumer and the small business, I think, it was forced. Um, and they were ready for it. I would say they were ready for it. Um, but they were forced both feet forward into technology advancements. You talk about uh, rural areas. You talk, we talked about the retail branch uh, and the desire of humans to go in and transact. Well, during the pandemic, the credit union, the credit union teams were dealing with COVID cases in their own team members. And in some cases, you know, had to physically close the lobbies. But with the advancement of technologies like automated teller machines, that could be staffed via video through a call center or a location where they had enough staff, gave the confidence to a member in a, in a rural community that I can still talk to a, mem- a, a member service representative through the video teller machine uh, and, and still have that guidance and still get that transaction done. Um, so that, that video adoption, that technology adoption, um, I think helped pole vault us into the next generation of, of how we access our financial services. And it's no secret, there's probably more apps uh, accessible to any consumer where you can load some sort of financial value uh, to buy a product. Uh, you can go to, to a coffee shop uh, and use your app uh, that's preloaded with, with dollars. Um, and so there's transactions being done in that manner today um, that are so different than the type of transaction my grandpa uh, engaged in. Uh, and, and again, I can't, 
I can't sit here and say, and in five years, it's going to look like this, or in 10 years, it's going to look like X. But we, uh, as the leaders of the regulatory community, we, the leaders of the industry, the leaders of, of the financial institutions, and the members, um, should embrace what's next uh, and the ability for for these businesses and the way that we transact to continue to evolve. Yeah, I think that uh, if the pandemic taught us one or two things, that that's adaptability and flexibility. And those institutions and those consumers, for that matter, that were flexible and they adapted to what, what was transpiring around us, they, they benefited in the long run. And, and I hope that that continues to, to be the case. The cool thing about credit unions, I said it from the beginning, is our accountability, because of our structure, being owned by the members, accountable to the member owners and the communities we serve, when they're telling us they're comfortable with, they want that next technology, that's a good green light uh, for us to, as an industry, us as an institution, to step into that next evolution. Uh, and I think it's a good sign to the regulator community as well to embrace that next generation of whatever it might be. One of the things that, that we mentioned, what we talked about earlier, was the the Great Recession and people struggling, and, and even during the pandemic. And we talked about how some of the individuals in the underbanked community, they there, there's a level of, we didn't come out and say it, but there's a level of stress and angst within that community. Not, not even the underbanked, just uh, even in uh, current members of a financial institution. What would you say to a member that is struggling today to, to make the, the mortgage payment at the end of the month or at the beginning of the month, uh, the car loan payment, uh, make ends meet? What, what would your advice, advice be to them in communicating to their financial institution, to their credit union? You heard me frame up that, that whole conversation about money in a household as financial wellness. Uh, financial wellness, um, when you have comfort or understanding of where your wallet is, also ties into and relates to health, uh, health and stress in, in a household, in a consumer, uh, and you can't separate the two. Uh, but the financial management component the financial wellness component, as as much anxiety as it can contribute to a household, it is something you can manage too. Uh, and so uh, my encouragement to the consumer is reach out to a financial institution, reach out to your local institution and have the conversation. And I say that acknowledging that talking about money is not the first choice of all of us. Uh, and then to be able to Share and, and really relate to your financial partner that these are, these are the things that I'm worried about. Uh, uh, that can be a difficult conversation to have, but you will be amazed at how much the person, uh, the institution across the desk from you is there to help, uh, is, is there to help uh, figure out what are those next steps you need to take um, to help meet your, your lifetime goals. It's, it's in everyone's best interest that that consumer succeed in their mental health, in their life, in their professional life, and the financial institution is there to help along the way as much as they can. And 
it, it's better to have that conversation with your financial institution as opposed to hold that all in for months, maybe, maybe even a year, and then one day just throw up your hands. It's, I wish somehow we could erase the stigma that the financial institution has um, in the eyes of a consumer. There's fear, there's, uh, and it doesn't have to be. Um, they can be such a partner uh, to the consumer uh, to help accomplish their financial dreams. First of all, this has been a wonderful conversation. I, I really enjoy visiting with you, Troy. Are there any is there are there any misconceptions about a credit union or anything else you'd like to share about credit unions before we wrap up? I would go back to our structure. Um, being member owned, being a cooperative, uh, is a very unique structure for a financial institution. Uh, so I, I keep on saying we're first accountable to the members, the, the consumers that we serve and the small businesses that we serve. And that line of accountability um, comes through a lens of safety and soundness. It comes through a lens of doing what's right for the members that you're serving and the communities that you're serving. It also, um, the cooperative uh, is accountable to ensure the real tangible value shows up in the products and services and the access. So who's winning when a cooperative does well, when a credit union does well, is the members. Because it's this constant cycle of reinvesting in the membership base in the form of pricing on products and services, more access. Uh, and it's so it's been really fun to see each of these credit unions continue to evolve throughout their time uh, in serving Idaho communities. And, and I think it's just, it's a beautiful model of financial services uh, that we're lucky to have in our country. So, Troy, thank you very much for, for joining us today. I, I, I really enjoyed our conversation. I, I, I love talking to you, and I'll, I'll just turn it over to Celia. Thank you, Sal. Uh, yes, I'd like to thank Troy as well as Sal for carving out time from their busy schedules to be here today. Uh, this has been an illuminating conversation. To take it back to what Troy had said, I think that there are a lot of Allens out there, a lot of consumers that benefit when community stakeholders and regulators and uh, leaders come together uh, to have these kinds of discussions. So we appreciate your time. Um, also, the Department of Finance would like listeners to know that we are committed to safeguarding the financial health of Idahoans through the appropriate oversight of diverse financial institutions and the education and protection of consumers. For more information on financial literacy topics like community banking uh, and for additional resources, please do visit our website at www.finance.idaho.gov. And finally, as we progress with this project, we want to hear from you to engage with Idaho consumers about ideas and topics that are on your mind. Please forward your suggestions and feedback to our email, finance at finance.idaho.gov. And please consider following the department on social media for news, important alerts, and other helpful resources on Facebook at Idaho DOF and on Twitter at Idaho Finance. We want to thank you for joining us for our production of Insights, the Idaho Department of Finance. We'd love to hear from you and learn more about the ideas and topics that are on your mind. Forward your suggestions and feedback to our email address, finance at finance.idaho.gov.